The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he cuts away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear even more. You are pruned already by means of the word that I have spoken to you. Make your home in me as I make, as I make mine in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit all by itself, but must remain part of the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, with me in him, bears fruit in plenty. For cut off from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is like a branch that has been thrown away. It withers. These branches are collected and thrown on the fire, and they are burnt. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask what you will, and you shall get it. It is to the glory of my Father that you should bear much fruit, and then you will be my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I have to say, as time goes on, and as I grow in my own faith journey, I feel this increasing fondness for the Pharisees. Like, they're sort of beautiful people, aren't they? Um, and, and the fact is, they're devout lay people. Like, that's what a Pharisee was, a very devout lay person who was studying the law, who was studying the scriptures, who was trying their darndest to safeguard and, and secure the richness of it. So in many ways, I don't think they're so different from you gathered here. I mean, who comes to a Wednesday morning 7 a.m. Mass except a devout layperson, a devout Christian? Um, it's sort of a shame that Pharisee has become a kind of curse word. Oh, you're a Pharisee. No, these are devout people who love their faith and are trying to be as diligent and, um, and earnest as they can about it. So put yourselves in the Pharisee's shoes then for a moment. These particular Pharisees who are anxious about something very important being lost. That's the, that's the issue. Um, circumcision is so central to the Jewish religious imagination and ritual. If you were not circumcised, you were not among the people. You'd be expelled. Circumcision was a way by which they asserted their, their, their personhood, um, their unity, everything. Circumcision involves blood, it's sacrificial. There's so much caught up in the ritual and in the meaning of circumcision. Very powerful symbol. And so they're saying, this has always been essential. How can it be thrown out? For that matter, there are other things that, that the Jews would hold very, very close to their hearts at particular times. Take, for example, the Paschal lamb that was eaten when they were in Egypt. And there was a whole lot of regulation around that as well. You better eat the whole thing. Don't leave any uh, until morning. Its blood is on the doorpost. You know what I mean? There's all these regulations that they have to respect for good reason. For that matter, keeping the Sabbath. If you didn't keep the Sabbath, in one point it says put them to death. That's how important it is. So what's happening here? I think we, in this modern age, we tend to draw a bit of a lazy curve here. It's not that God is trying to make everything easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. That's not really the point, even if that might be a consequence. That's not 
what's happening? This kind of slackism. No, it's about drawing closer and closer to, the, to Christ in whom all of this is fulfilled. Who does circumcision point to ultimately? What does the Paschal Lamb point to ultimately? Whose is the Sabbath ultimately? Now that Jesus is in their midst, now that they know the bridegroom, all of this stuff sort of collapses into relationship with him. For us, it would be baptism, which, which is essential, which is part of our religious imagination. See, the thing is, we heard in Acts, they were having this long, drawn-out argument, and this is how things were settled in the early church. Um, religious argument is very different from just normal bickering, because we're not just trying to be the loudest or be the smartest. We're trying to honor God the most faithfully. What does God want here? This isn't about me beating you in an argument. What does God want from us? So the church would gather and they would argue pretty long and hard, seeking not their own will, but the will of the Father. Listen to this, because beautifully Jesus here gives us this image in which we can, we can collapse circumcision and the Sabbath and, and even baptism and everything. Collapse it into this image here. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Augustine says this. He says, for we cultivate God in the vine and God cultivates us. Our culture of God does not make God better. We don't cultivate him to bring more fruit out of him. Our culture is that of adoration, not of plowing. His culture, on the other hand, does make us better, does make us clean, does make us fruitful. His culture consists in extirpating all the seeds of wickedness from our hearts, in opening our hearts to the plow, as it were, of his word, in sowing in us the seeds of his commandments, and in waiting for the fruits of piety. And regarding the pruning, which happens to the fruitful branches, we might think pruning is this painful thing, and maybe it is, but it happens to the good branches, not the wicked ones. Regarding the pruning, he adds, and who is there in this world so clean that he cannot be made more and more changed? He cleanseth the clean, the fruitful, that the cleaner they may be, the more fruitful they may be. This is us. Let's wait on our Lord for a moment now because he waits on us and he's brought us to table to dine with him.